Welcome to The Burning Word, a podcast that invites you to return to the Word and encounter God again. I'm your host, John Prine, and if you've been journeying with us, we've just finished up our first study, Where is God and My Suffering on the Book of Job? We've got these great eight episodes, a companion Bible study, and a whole host of ways to engage on our website, www.burningwordpodcast.com. And if you haven't yet, now is a great time to check it out. However, before we move on to our next Bible study, which I can tell you is coming soon and will be revealed, I actually wanted to take two episodes to pause, step back, and survey our invitation to return to the Word. On the very first episode of The Burning Word, we dealt with the question, why is studying the Bible so hard? And so today, I wanted to continue that conversation by following it up with another why. Why should I return to the Word again? Why should I restart my personal Bible study? My hope is that with each specific study, you're going to be given a compelling resource and a guide to enter back into the text. But I think there's more training than that that's needed if we're truly going to recover the power of God's word for our life. So if you've been perplexed with why you've struggled in the past with Bible study, or if you find yourself struggling still to figure out why you should engage with your Bible, This episode is going to take you into the heart of what studying the Bible is all about. So let's dive in. Back in 2009, TED Talks were just starting to find their footing as a cultural phenomenon, and one of the biggest videos that exploded onto the scene was by a young British-American marketing expert who studied anthropology by the name of Simon Sinek. His TED Talk and subsequent book were simply titled, Start With Why. If you haven't listened to the talk yet, you should. It's really one of those great TED Talks, and his book is great too. But it's really the heart of Sinek's idea that I want to sit with here for a moment. So often, Cynic argues, companies focus on the what. They get excited about their product. They believe in their product. They try to convince people to buy their product. Yet inevitably, they wonder why their product has stalled or has become stuck. Yet in comparison, Cynic points to a company like Apple. Apple is, of course, one of the largest and most successful businesses of our generation, perhaps of all time. They, of course, have many memorable products, the Macintosh, the iPod, the iPhone, etc., Yet, Cynic argues their success was not their what, but their why, which Apple has consistently held from the beginning. Their slogan, simply, is Think Different. And it was Apple's drive to think different that defined their products, that pushed them to branch out and explore new electronic possibilities, and that ultimately caused so many, including myself, to become loyal customers to Apple. Because ultimately, we all believe in their why. We want to think different, and if only we could buy an Apple product, then maybe we will be one of those ones who thinks different too. So Sinek in his book is going to say, Very few people or companies can clearly articulate why they do what they do. Now he clarifies further. He says, By why I mean your purpose, cause, or belief. Why does your company exist? Why do you get out of bed every morning? And why should anyone care? People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And what you do simply proves what you believe. End quote. So Cynic's proposal 
is that if we want to create or even just participate in a movement that's bigger than ourselves, we need to move away from the what and we need to start with why. So the title of his talk, Start With Why. I think when it comes to our Bible study, we've repeatedly been sold a what. And I'm not blaming anyone here. It's easy to get distracted by the what when it comes to companies and their products. And unfortunately, I think it's been easy in modern Christianity to approach our faith as a business that itself is distracted by the products it's selling. Thus, the classic 15-minute quiet time is, in fact, a what. A very good what, in theory. There's nothing inherently wrong with sitting down for 15 minutes to read a passage of the Bible. But I get this sense as I talk to people about their personal Bible study. They feel a lot of pressure to keep up the product, maintain that 15-minute quiet time. Or they themselves feel a lot of disappointment and shame with the product that they're consuming. You know, it just wasn't that good of a 15-minute quiet time. Yet when the time comes, and you finally do sit down with your Bible open, it's like we're all realizing we don't exactly know what our why even is. Why do you need this book? Why do you need to spend time in the Bible? What is it that should happen when you engage your Bible? What is the God of our Bibles asking us to do? So this episode, I want to start with why. Why do you need your Bible? And what is it that you find in your Bible? This episode is somewhat of a continuation of our introduction episode. You can probably tell as a pastor, I'm really trying to wrestle with you in terms of how we can recover the Word of God today from missteps and miscues that may have distracted or confused us. I'm really trying to just clear away space to let you think about what it's going to take to enter back in to engaging God's Word again. So yet again, I think in order to get to the why of our Bible, I want to start with a survey of two why approaches that I believe fail to adequately reveal God's word to us. These two approaches to the question why have often left us confused and stuck. Maybe at times they have served their place in the church, but they currently are holding you back from returning to God's word. And so with just a little bit of digging, I think we can find some guidance on the why that will tell us why we need to return to our Bibles again. So just over 100 years ago, the church in Europe was struggling. As the Enlightenment had raged on and the Academy grew more and more confident in their scientific abilities, theologians and Bible scholars had retreated further and further away from the faith. By World War I, most European scholars had agreed the Bible was only useful for two things. First, the Bible was maybe useful to study the history of religion. So for these scholars, the Bible contained a chronicle, a very old chronicle of how ancient people practiced religion. So these scholars would attempt to study the ins and outs, not just of what the Bible said, but of the history behind the Bible. They were looking for those indicators of historical fact that they could unearth like evidence and then confirm with archaeological proof. Yet when it came to the Bible's records and historical fact, often these scholars were all concurring that the Bible was suspect at best and downright dishonest at worst. So If the Bible wasn't that reliable to European scholars as a record of the history of religion, a bunch of theologians in Europe turned instead to their second approach, and that was to study the Bible as a source of religious feeling one gets when one contemplates God. For these theologians, the facts of the Bible weren't to be taken too seriously. 
Instead, the Bible was all about lifting our gaze and stirring our hearts through powerful symbols and especially through our feelings. Through the Bible, we could connect to that higher power, whatever that higher power was. So for these theologians, the Bible was a perfect handbook given to offer us a taste of that religious feeling, but nothing more. So in Europe, and indeed in many European denominations and even churches, these were the two approaches to the question, why study the Bible? You study the Bible to discover the history behind it, or you study it to discover that religious feeling you get when you encounter a higher power. Now, I know for many listening, that kind of why approach sounds distant and removed. But as I argued in our first episode, I'm not sure, practically speaking, American Christianity has done much better over the past hundred years when it comes to quiet times and reading the Bible. This is where I want to begin an invitation to restart your personal Bible study. For many of us, we've grown burned out or disillusioned. We've lost the why of what this book is and what we're supposed to be doing with it. I mean, when I think about what my youth group taught me to do with a quiet time, I really wasn't given much training. So I'd do my best to open up the book, find a passage that I knew or that I liked, normally something Jesus had said or one of those soaring passages Paul wrote, and then I'd read it and I'd hope, if I'm being honest, that it would offer me a religious feeling. Now, I didn't know that's what I was doing, but I didn't really have any other guidance. I remember a season where I had this kind of ritual in my life. I would feel anxious or lonely. I mean, I was a teenager after all. And I would quietly slip away into my room and I'd go back and forth between reading just a random psalm that I'd flip open to, which sometimes helped and if I'm honest, oftentimes didn't. Or I'd always go back to Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you've known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. And I would sort of sit there with Psalm 139. I'd read it over and over and over again. That was approach number one, to look for passages that comforted me. To be clear, I don't think that's a bad place to start. But what was happening in Europe in the early 20th century is what has gotten many of us stuck today. If all God is is a religious feeling we get, inevitably those streams are going to run dry. So sometimes in confusion and disappointment, the psalms I read didn't seem to give me that great of a feeling. I mean, especially the psalms that were confusing or full of grief or lament. Eventually, I found even Psalm 139 could only be read so many times. It was like the more I read it, the less the psalm would hit me with that force of comfort and the less anxiety that would be soothed. This pattern probably lasted a couple months before I finally got distracted and moved on to try something new. But when you think about restarting your personal Bible study, if the only why you have is to receive a religious feeling, I can guarantee you now it won't last. That feeling inevitably will fade and you'll begin to wonder if it was ever enough to begin with. You'll start to see God simply as a means to serve yourself whenever you're feeling low and the Bible eventually will run dry. Normally when I get stuck looking for a religious feeling in my Bible study, I then would turn to approach number two, the historical fact-checking approach to my faith. Now this too is a wonderful early step of faith, and I don't want to knock anyone who's starting here. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with it. But in this stage, I would pull out my apologetic study Bible, and would be amazed reading as a gospel passage pointed out the prophecies about Jesus from the Old Testament. 
I mean, eventually I discovered, probably when I was 15 or 16, Isaiah 53. And I would read it a couple of days in a row, just wowed by this foresight of God and Jesus' coming as the lamb that was slain. When I grew more courageous, I eventually opened back to the book of Genesis. And there I silently calculated the years of man from Adam to Noah. I contemplated the scope of what a worldwide flood would mean and its implications for the dinosaurs. And around Easter, I would eagerly read the resurrection account and nod at the number of witnesses. Again, this isn't a wrong way to start solidifying your faith, but what I've noticed as I look back on that season was that the driving question of this approach is the same that scholars became consumed with in Europe. How do we know that this historically happened? This isn't a bad question. It's one we can and should talk about. I mean, to put my cards on the table, personally, I believe in the historical bodily resurrection of Jesus. I believe in the historicity of miracles, the revelation of the prophets that foretold Christ, and as far as I can tell, there was in fact a flood in Noah's day, and Jonah probably was swallowed by a whale. I mean, come on. I've heard the counterpoints, but this was the ancient world where a lot of crazy stuff happened, and would Jonah or the author of Jonah really go all the way to making up in their mind the thought? of Jonah being swallowed by a whale. It just seems too ridiculous not to be true. But my point here is not that it's not good to ask these questions, but that I thought in asking them, if I can't find that religious feeling, maybe my personal Bible study is about grasping and defending the historical facts of the faith. While this can lead to many interesting reads and enlightening conversations, eventually, much like a religious feeling, as time wears on, I eventually found the urgencies of my discoveries begin to wane. After a couple of years exploring the various nooks and crannies of the Bible's historical account, you kind of settle in to what you believe. For some of us, we grow deeply convicted that the adequate answers are there. But for others of us, we grow deeply disillusioned, where we start to think, could this really have happened? And instead of engaging faith in the Word of God, we become more and more entrenched in the correctness and the defending of our answers. And it becomes more and more difficult to talk with anyone else who might not see things the way we do. So what I'm suggesting is these are the two why approaches that I sort of meandered into with little other direction to go off of. Maybe you had more help, but as I look back on where European Christianity got stuck, I think it's interesting that there's this natural human tendency within me, left alone as a teenager, handed a Bible, and told to spend time with it, that I started to gravitate towards the sense that the why of studying my Bible should really be all about me. I I thought that if I could just sort out the historical facts that would prove my faith to be true, then maybe, maybe then I'd finally feel that reassuring confidence. Or Or maybe more personally, If I could just find a strong enough experience, that Bible passage that never failed to offer me comfort, that never failed to light me up with that religious sense that God was near, then maybe, just maybe, those lingering problems I had, worries of self-doubt and loneliness, would finally go away. There is, in fact, a sense of control in both of these whys. On the one hand, to control the history of our faith gives us confidence either to affirm it or to deny it. On the other, to control that high one gets from a religious feeling feeds our suspicion that God really should be there to take care of us. 
My experience in the church of American Christianity told me that the best way to know God was to have a quiet time. And so I kind of just did the best that I could. Yet these two approaches were what I often gravitated towards, and I've heard over and over again others who have struggled with the pull of these approaches as well. But in my personal experience, and for the many I've pastored, this caused our personal Bible study to become something like a wild goose chase. We wanted to control the wild goose, that is God, the Holy Spirit, and maybe even our certainty of faith. So we'd roam around these various books of the Bible, clutching at any passages that seemed to move us or spark our fancy. And at first, we'd feel this thrill, this quickening of hope that maybe we'd caught on to something, only to have the wild goose slip through our fingers again. Which leads us back to the beginning of the 20th century and the decay of the church in Europe. In 1917, there was a young Reformed minister in Switzerland who'd gone through the rigors of a liberal theological education. He had sat under all the big-time scholars and thinkers who were working out the implications of what it meant to approach the Bible as a source for religious feeling and as a history of humanity's religion. Yet this young minister found, for all its rigors and sophistication, there was a strange hollowness to the liberal Christianity he was trained in, especially when he worked in the real-life setting of his church. Was he there just to correct people in the true history behind the text of the Bible? Was he there to simply offer people a nice religious feeling so that they'd be comforted by their idea of God? Neither why seemed enough to him. So he began wrestling with this question that would ultimately consume his theological career. Even more, would flip the liberal world of theology in Europe upside down and set the trajectory for the next hundred years of what theologians would be talking about right up to this present day. This young minister's name was Karl Barth, and his question was, what is it that we discover within the Bible? Or as I'm putting it, why do we need the Bible? When Bart was asked by a neighboring minister to give this lecture on the Bible, he titled it, and I love this, The Strange New World of the Bible. So here's Bart's lecture, all the way back from 1917, and it opens like this. We're here to answer a question. What is there within the Bible? What sort of house is it to which the Bible is a door? What sort of country is spread before our eyes when we throw the Bible open? Isn't that such a great question to begin with? It's the question we're trying to answer with this podcast. I believe it's the question that will actually make or break your personal study of the Bible. Did you catch how Bart phrased it? He asks, what is there within the Bible? Or even later, what sort of country is spread before our eyes? I think Bart's question opens up our why. Bart argues in this lecture that he was trained to look for the history within the Bible or the feeling that he might get arising from the text. He thought when he opened the Bible, he would discover a series of historical facts, or he thought that he would discover a sense of transcendent religious feeling. But what he was shocked to encounter instead was a strange new world. What was so strange about it? Well, at its center, this world was not about us, but was, in fact, about God, who is waiting there to encounter us within the world of the scriptures. Thus, for Bart, the question of why moves clearly from history or religious feeling to instead, and this is his quote, 
entering into the strange new world of the Bible in order to encounter God. Here's another way Bart puts it. It is not the human thoughts about God which form the content of the Bible, but the right divine thoughts about man. The Bible tells us not how we should talk with God, but what he says to us. Not how we find the way to him, but how he has sought and found the way to us. Not the right relation in which we must place ourselves to him, but the covenant which he has made with all who are Abraham's spiritual children, and which he has sealed once and for all in Jesus Christ. It is this which is within the strange new world of the Bible. The word of God is within the Bible, and he purposes nothing less than the establishment of a new world. End quote. If you're tracking with Bart and with me, what we're saying is that over and over, our temptation as humans is to center the Bible as a word about us, a word for us to understand, to grasp, to master, to feel. Yet to approach the Bible that way is inevitably to enter the world of the Bible the wrong way round. That's never what the Bible was. That Bible will always grow stale and dusty and religious because it's a book we're trying to use for ourselves. But what Bart discovered the more time he spent in the world of the Bible was that it was actually a word from God, a word of encounter, a word that made a claim on us, that sought us, saved us, and that now transforms and renews us. This is a strange new world because in God's word, he purposes to reshape our world as well. This is not our why, but God's why. God is intending to reshape our world, and he wants to do so by calling us to enter into the strange new world of his word. You know, the interesting thing is that this struggle over what God's word is has always been taking place with God's people. If you think about it, we're not alone in our temptation to make the Bible about our own why. Israel constantly struggled to understand what the Torah, the instruction God had given them, was about. At various points, it descends inevitably into rules and religion. At other points, it disappoints in not offering the people enough for their own feeling and desires, and so they turn to other gods, captivated by their answers to their questions of why. Eventually, the law itself sort of fades from Israel's view, out of sight and out of mind of the people. Yet there's this moment in 2 Kings 22, when Josiah rediscovers the law in the temple. I love that moment. If you go back and read it, Josiah is gripped by it because this is God's word. It's this strange new world for Josiah, and it's totally reshaping the world that he and his kingdom were living in. So Josiah weeps and laments, and then he gets to work. He begins making all these reforms, tearing down altars of false worship, reestablishing Passover for the first time in generations. This is encounter not just with religious feeling or historical fact, but with the strange new world of the Bible. And what Josiah encountered was the why, that God wanted to reshape Josiah's world. Centuries later, a German Augustinian monk, wearied and dissatisfied with this growing sense that the church had lost its way, Martin Luther would discover, in reading Paul's letter to the Romans, that the heartbeat of the gospel was not a righteousness earned by religious merit or works, but a righteousness by grace established through faith. I mean, I know us Protestants like to celebrate Martin Luther, but this moment was a 
thunderclap in Western history. This moment reshaped the very fabric of the world we lived in. And it all came about because Martin Luther returned to the word and discovered this strange new world, at the center of which was God waiting to encounter him. There's this quote I've always loved from Luther's book, The Bondage of the Will, where he says, quote, For the word of God, wherever it comes, comes to change and renew the world. This is why you need to restart your personal Bible study. It's not about religious feelings, though they, of course, can happen and are useful. It's not about double-checking the historical facts, though, of course, those are conversations to have that can be helpful. But what you need is an encounter with the living God, who is speaking to you from within the strange new world of the Bible. This is what we're after. This is why this podcast and the studies we've put together exist. We want to help you enter into the strange new world of the Bible and discover the God who is seeking you there, who wants to make a claim on you in order to remake and renew your world. So what this looks like with a guide is an intentional engagement of heart and mind with the scriptures. Really practically, this is what we're trying to do in our studies. If you take a look at them, each section, you'll notice that we're giving you a guided tour of the passage you've just read. I think we need help exploring this strange new world. The guide points out to you nuances of the text, the literary flow. It points out some cultural background that will help you enter into this world, understand its culture and customs. But each study, importantly, is going to culminate with space for reflection and prayer. I'm going to do another episode eventually on its own to talk more about how to pray with Scripture. But I know that this too is a lost art that we often need help with. But it's only there in slowing down, entering into this strange new world with a guide, and then pausing to listen that God will start to speak. I'm always amazed whenever it happens when I have found myself entering into this strange new world of the Bible. Sometimes it's really subtle and small. The passage I'm in just becomes this morsel of bread to chew on in my day when I'm feeling hungry, or perhaps even to be stored away for later. Yet sometimes, and actually more frequently than I would often expect, I'll find as I enter into the strange new world of the scriptures, this gripping moment of fire, when I suddenly realize I've stumbled onto holy ground, and now this word is actually burning in my heart and I need to worship and be renewed by it. These are the moments when I know, as I've been wandering around the strange new world of the Bible, that I've actually just encountered God, and I cannot stay the same when I enter back into my world of my day-to-day life. So this is our why. This is why you need the Bible. Why you can't just give up on it. As a pastor, I could care less if you spend 15 minutes reading a passage every day, going through a Bible reading planning in a year, if when you do it, you miss the invitation to enter into the strange new world of the Bible and be changed and reshaped by an encounter with God. Don't settle for other whys when it comes to returning to the Word. You need this Word for no other reason than that it wants to reshape your entire world. In our next episode, I'm going to talk practically. And listen, I really get it. As much as the why matters, 
parts of this episode are probably not new to you, and there have probably been moments where you've glimpsed this why before. We also need help with the how, how to practically set aside time to encounter God in the strange new world of his scriptures. You also practically need a guide, someone who's walking with you into this strange new world and helping point out the features of its terrain. But if Simon Sinek is on to anything, the core motivation of entering into this world in the first place will be determined by the why you are approaching this book with. And there are few bigger and more cosmic whys than Martin Luther's vision. You just have to say it again. For the word of God, wherever it comes, comes to change and renew the world. I'm John Prine. This has been The Burning Word. And until next episode, grace and peace. Thank you.